Good to be in church. It's always good to be in church. I've been going to church since I was, well, I was. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that wherever I go uh, around the, the planet, <laughs> wherever I find the saints gathered, that's where I want to be. It's an amazing thing that when I think that uh, we have gathered from so many nations in this room and online, it says to me that we've been walking this journey just so that we can gather with the saints every now and again and remind ourselves that we're not doing this faith journey alone. None of us is alone in this faith journey, except this happens, right? We look at the world around us, we see the curse that we spoke about last week, we see the confusion and we wonder what happened to the creation. What on earth happened to the creation? We are speaking through the book of Genesis and Genesis and and genome and all of those genetics kind of words come from the same point. They came from this idea of seed. Everything that makes the family tree of humanity comes from this beginning. Everything from the beginning, the DNA was in that seed that God planted and everything you're seeing now is not, well, it wasn't his perfect plan, but it has come from this very beginning point. So what we can say is that when we look at the first few chapters of Genesis, we can actually see the entire story of what's playing out right now and try to make a little bit of sense of it, a little bit of sense of it and a little bit of sense of our place in this story. In Genesis chapter 6, we read a portion of scripture which is quite confronting but very familiar. It goes like this, when men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born of them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married them and they, cho- uh, mar- they married them. Uh, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with men forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. All good so far. Seems to make some sense. The Nephilim. Isn't that a great word? The Nephilim. Anyone that's into a bit of sci-fi or whatever has probably heard that word bandied around. Let's check it out. Were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Uh, When the sons of God went to the daughters of men and the children by them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Good so far. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Did you know God has feelings? Do you know when God looks at you and he sees you chasing after his heart, he feels pleasure. Our worship that we bring brings pleasure to the heart of God. Therefore, the opposite of that would bring him pain and grief. And we see this moment in history where God looks at what is created and what has come from that initial seed and we see strangeness everywhere. We see strange behavior. We see, we see people, it just it's very, very straightforward. All they thought about was wicked. All they thought about was evil. My goodness, this is not working out too well. We have this reference to these godlike men, giants in the land. You'll see them mentioned in Deuteronomy. You'll see them mentioned in Ezekiel. You'll see it mentioned a little bit through the Bible. Here's the thing. We don't know exactly what the Nephilim were. We know that there are references to early history of very, very tall people, great warriors. And we read here, because there's no other way to read it, that the sons of God, in other words, angelic beings are messing up the planet. So here's what's going wrong. Everything. Everything. Everything's going wrong. So the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creatures and move along the ground and birds of the air and I am grieved that I have made them. Verse 8, 
one of the more famous verses in the Bible, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now we could park in those verses for a while and try and unpack it. And they did a bunch of research on that this week and I decided I am not smart enough. Because I heard everything from conspiracy theories about super soldiers, <laughs> not even kidding, <laughs> to, anyway, it gets wacky out there. Did you know it's wacky out there in the world? Here's what I want you to focus on. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. If you can grieve God's heart, you can also bring God's heart joy. If you can cause pain, you can also bring great pleasure to God's heart. So our challenge is how do we find favor in the eyes of God? Well, here's the thing. It ain't that complicated. All we need to understand is from the very, very beginning, from the genome, from the seed, this thing has kept growing tentacles out from the evil that was begun. And so we need to protect ourselves from that. And that's where our great God comes into this. There's a song, uh, there, was a, there was, I shouldn't say, I should, I'll start with this. There was a pizzeria. There was a pizzeria in Bath in England. They called it Bath. You know why? Because there was Roman baths there. Yeah. That's like, my, that's like calling my city house, I think. It's like, there's a house there. They called it house. Anyway, Bath. 1982, you're in Bath. There's a pizzeria. You're living above it. And you look out and you see the people scattered everywhere going about their business and just doing their thing day by day, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you start to think like King Solomon. You realize that everything is like chasing the wind and meaningless. Everything is meaningless and like chasing the wind. Anyone else ever read Ecclesiastes and go, preach? Yeah, I feel like that. And so, and so this singer-songwriter who was part of a, a new wave band sat down and wrote a song called Mad World. And it's one of those songs that I keep going back to. Everywhere I look, there's familiar faces, worn out places, all those things. And I think it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of sad. Do you know the next line? The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. Why is it that we think of escape so often? Why is it that we fall into depression and pain so often? Why is it we forget about the joy that we were created with and for so often? The reason songs and pieces of art and poetry and things like that about cataclysmic thought kind of appeal to us is somewhere inside of us, we kind of resonate with cataclysmic thought. There's kind of this, this thing of, well, it's all going to end anyway. Let's just throw our hands up in the air. But we were created to worship. We were created to bring something much greater to the planet. We were created to bring blessing to those around us. This is what it says in James uh, chapter 1 and Verse 14 and 15, really, did James? Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, if sin is a problem for us, then death is somewhere nearby. John chapter 3 says we must, be not like, we must not be like Cain who, enjoyed the, who joined the evil one and then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil while the acts of his brother were righteous. Starting to pick up on a theme here. This is what Hebrews 11 says. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Hebrews 11 was written 
to remember what happened in Genesis 4 and we're still talking about it. Abel is still speaking to us. His righteousness is still speaking to us. In other words, an act of righteousness has great, great fruit. Sin brings death. Sacrifice brings life. I wrote it this way. We are not called to death. We're not called to that. We are commissioned to life. We actually have a mission and a commission to bring and breathe life into everything around us. That's why the church gathers. That's why it puts its best foot forward. That's why we try to feed people and clothe people and, and, and look after people and pray with people. That's why when one hurts, we all hurt. That's because we are commissioned to bring life. We are not called to death. How could you possibly be called to death? And yet sin is something that impacts us all. Cain is an interesting case study, and I thought we might just go through it real quick so that we can have a look at it. Because you may have heard the story of Cain and Abel, but you may not have looked at it and studied it for a while. So let's just do this as a little case study for what we can learn, because there's some good things. Excuse me, there's some good things to learn. Psalm 42 is an amazing psalm that keeps talking about, uh, David keeps going back to this refrain, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why don't you come and bring your praise to, the God, praise to God? It says, yet will I praise him, verse five and verse eight of Psalm 42, either side of what he's complaining about and saying it is not working. He's saying, but yet I know. In all of the things that are going wrong, yet I know God is my strength, he is my strong tower. That's what the psalm wrote and potentially if he'd written it a few years earlier Cain might have been a bit better off because this is what happens in the start of Genesis chapter 4 I think we've got these ones on the screen for you it says now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil in the course of time Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord but Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock and then he looked the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor so Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Here's what I want to tell you. Worship is detailed. Worship has detail. You know what I love about uh, learning any great art? If you're a musician and you've, you, you start out and you, you learn to play a chord on an instrument and you think, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you learn to play some more intricate things and you think, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you realize compared to the greatest musicians, you are terrible. Maybe you've done that with cooking or building or painting or whatever it is that you're into. You realize no matter what you do, there is more that you could put in. You know, you know that when, when somebody jumps on social media and says, can you recommend a painter? Can you recommend a plumber? Can you recommend whatever? What are they actually asking? Can you recommend someone who's going to do quality work? Because I just don't trust the humans. I don't trust it. That's why all of those disaster shows are on TV, you know, worst houses ever, worst whatever. We love those ones because we think, ah, oh, sucker, it didn't happen to me. <laughs> and so we love those things because we're like, yeah, that's humans. They cut corners, they do that. But when we see someone do something of great detail and great beauty, we have this feeling of like, oh, I could never do that. And wow, look what can be done. I put it to you that as you learn to worship, you will learn more about worship. As you learn to worship, you will just learn more about worship. There is more of God's beauty to find. There is more of your heart to give. There is more of yourself to bring under his, his hand and his control. Worship is a detailed thing. Worship is detailed beauty, not weary-minded duty. If you've come here today because you were dragged here, that's okay. 
I reckon we can convince you by the end of this gathering that there is beauty to be had in the gathering of the saints and the worship of our God. It is a beautiful thing when the people of God gather together and lift one voice. So, how does this relate to Cain? Well, Cain had given up on wise counsel. Here's what happens in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, let's just point out for a second, this is not his dad or his mum. You can go, oh, you don't even know, mum. You don't even understand us young people. This is the Lord. God speaks to him and says this, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If you're going to get advice from anyone, wouldn't the creator of the universe be a good one to get some from? Here's what happens. Sin is crouching at the door. Anyone that's got a little cat, little pussy cat, I don't like, no. I grew up with cats. I understand cats, but they make me sneeze. Here's what happens. When a cat sees a mouse or a little bird, what do they do? They sort of crouch. And they go from this playful dancing little thing, this sort of, this sort of innate thing kicks in and they crouch down and they wait very, very still and very, very quiet. Why? Because there's something they want. And they know if they're still and quiet, it'll come a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. What happens next? They pounce. They pounce because it's innate. It's in their nature. That is the nature of sin. Sin is crouching at the door and you are the one that can be tempted by it or not. It looks soft and fluffy and like it can't harm you. But my friends, not only can it harm you, it can just straight out kill you. And the only way you're going to see that the thing that's crouching at the door in disguise as sin is with wise counsel around you. This is why we do not do this faith walk alone. We don't do it alone. I need people to say, Jazz, bit of pride kicking in there, mate. Jazz, bit of selfishness kicking in there, mate. I need my community around me to pull me up when my humanity is getting in the way of what God wants to do through me. And that goes for us corporately as a congregation as well because sin is crouching. That's what sin does. And it doesn't look like much and it doesn't look like it could hurt you. It looks kind of fluffy and shiny and maybe a little attractive. But God is saying directly to Cain, not only is it crouching at the door, you are feeling the temptation and you need to master it. How many people actually have the strength to master temptation in their own life? Let's just be straightforward. I'm going to answer the question for you. Zero. Zero. And here's why. Because all of those people that go, I've got a strong will, I can master it all myself. Honestly, we are more fragile than we would like to admit. And here's why we need to admit that we're fragile is because I need you and you need me. We need one another. We need to agree on the one thing that we are bringing our, our hearts together in worship of our great God. And he is saying to us, don't let the sin that's crouching at the door jump up, bite you, hurt you and possibly destroy you. That's what he's telling us over and over and over again. The gentle whisper of God's voice came to Cain's ear. And this is what Cain did about it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him.
What sort of hatred do you have to have to strike another man down dead? This is not self-defense. This is not war. This is jealousy. This is jealousy and anger and fear. That, as Ephesians said, has grown up and given birth to a baby, and the baby is death. Because when we let sin take our lives over, when we let anger, jealousy, fear, pride, all of those things take our lives over, when we let the curse be the headline, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Abel says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. He gave up on wise counsel, the wisest counsel. He shut it down. Sin was crouching at the door. It jumped up and bit him and he let it take him over. And then he made up an excuse. I don't know where my brother is and I'm not, it's, not my, it's not my job to look after him. Yes. Yes, it is. Cain lost perspective. He lost perspective. Then he lost control. Let's go out to the field and while they were there, kind of attacks his brother and kills him. He lost wise counsel. He lost perspective. Then he lost control. Do you know in the midst of this, do you know what's actually happening to him? He's losing his identity. This is what it says in Genesis 4.13. It says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be your restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. What was his punishment? His punishment was actually gracious because God says to him, you're going to be banished from the land. I'm going to push you out even further than I pushed your father and mother out. But, you're not going to die. So when you look at the Old Testament and you think, there's the, you, know, you know that image of the Old Testament where there's this, there's this mean God in the Old Testament and this gracious God in the New Testament and, and somehow we, we're trying to marry the two? Here's the point. God is immutable. He is unchangeable. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So if grace was there in the New Testament, you better bet, bet your bottom dollar that grace was there in the Old Testament from the get-go because God has never changed. If eye for an eye was actually applied in this case, we wouldn't have Cain or Abel. But we still have Cain. And in fact, God puts a mark on him that says, no, no one's going to touch you. No one's going to kill you because I have put my mark on you. If you are a child of God and you are known by God, the mark of the Holy Spirit is on you. You are actually different. There is something about you spiritually that is marked. And God says, that's my child and that's my child and that's my child and that's my child and that's my child. And don't you touch him. Grace was there from the get-go. But here's Cain's issue. His identity was bound up in his work. When he brought his offering, when he brought his offering, he came in from the field and grabbed some veggies and whatever and plonked them down. 
When Abel bought his offering, he chose, the, the scripture explains that he chose the finest, the most pure of his, of his lambs, of his livestock. He brought the best. He put detail into his worship. He understood that worship was not an afterthought. Worship was not work. Worship was all that he was coming to all that he is and saying, thank you for the salvation that you have already given me. Remember, God has already graced them with life. They are already in a place of understanding that they're not dead and God is good and there is someone there to worship. And Abel has done his best to bring his best and Cain just hasn't. And then Cain doesn't get slapped for this. He gets told gently by God, just do your best, bring your best. You know that if you do right, right will happen. And Abel and Cain's, Cain's response is to let anger and jealousy and bitterness rise up in him. Let that crouching sin leap out at him and bring death to his own heart by killing his own brother. My friends, if this isn't a warning to us about what it is to walk in the presence of God or choose to walk outside of the presence of God, wouldn't you choose to walk in his presence and with our great God? He lost his identity, but he found grace because in verse 15 it says not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over and when the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him he still had to pay for his sin but he didn't have to pay with his life and he still got life and do you know how I know that because his genealogy keeps going it says at the end of that chapter, it says that people started to find God. It says, at the time people began to call on the name of the Lord. By the end of this whole story, people around them start to understand, hey, we should call on the name of the Lord. We should call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because that's where salvation is. That's where joy is. That's where grace is. That's where love is. That's where community is. That's where identity is. That's where hope is. That's where everything I need to live and breathe and have my being is. We should call on the name of the Lord. Grace's story continues generation to generation. You don't have to do anything to earn it. But if you observe it, jump into it. You should not be trying to do this alone. You should not be bringing your work and saying, God, look at all the work I did. I did some good work for you. You could bring nothing to the table except yourself and he would see it as a beautiful thing, a sweet sound, a beautiful smell. Do you know what? Sin blinds us and deafens us. It blinds us to the beauty of God and deafens us to his voice. How is it that Cain could have the voice of God directly with him and his very next action was to kill. That's some grown-up sin right there. That's some blinding sin right there. That's some I can't hear your voice and I can't see you moving, so I'm going to go do my own thing sin right there. But this story, this history is here to tell us Grace was there at the beginning. Grace is here right now. Whatever the sin is in your life, God is still a God who loves you, wants to enjoy you and have you enjoy his presence and he wants to mark you as blessed and mark you as one who is saved and brought to his heart. Grace's story will continue. There is sin, we know that. But there's sacrifice and there's grace.
if we learn anything from Genesis, it's that the seed was there right from the get-go and we can't do anything about that. That sin is crouching at the door always and we can do something about that. And grace is abundant and we should walk directly into that. My friends, wherever you are right now in your walk of faith that includes doubt, that includes fear, that includes all of the questions that we ask of our great eternal God. Can I offer you this? Sin crouches, sacrifice counts, and grace is the cure. Then he can look after, care for, and love us in all of our complexity, in all of our pain, in all of our sin. It's still a mad world. (laughs) But God is still a big help. It's a mad world. But he is our great and gracious God. Here's my advice to you today. Give up. Give up control. Give up fear. Give up hatred. Give up jealousy. Give up pride. Give up everything that gets between you and God. Because I can tell you, if he was in that space beside Cain just before sin took him over and whispering in Cain's ear, then he's definitely right here right now with you. And there's something great for you to do. There's some beauty for you to bring because your worship is a thing of beauty and it is a detailed thing of beauty, not a mindless, mind-numbing duty that you do. This is something that is life-giving, is uplifting, brings us great Joy. Gathering of the saints should be one of the most joyous moments in your week and you should do it as often as you can. And the pastoral team, we all miss you guys when you're not here. Don't show up every day though, it gets kind of busy. Sin's crouching, yeah. But that doesn't mean we live in fear of it. We live in community. And we live with friends saying, mate, back off. Step away from the fluffy, bright thing. (laughs) The shiny allure of sin, step away from it. You need community to help you do that. Sin crouches. Sacrifice counts. Grace is the cure. There's some complexity to how it all began. And everyone's still trying to guess how it's all going to end. We stand in the middle of history knowing that God loves us just the way we are and He destined us to bring beauty into the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank You for these incredible people that have listened today. I pray that for myself and for all of us as we listen that You would be changing and moulding our hearts, letting us know your story in our lives. God, I pray that for those of us who are feeling distant from you, maybe sin 
is not just crouching at the door, it's standing in our face and trying to take us over. I pray that we would have the boldness and the humility to ask for forgiveness this day. That we would ask for forgiveness for what it is that gets between you and us. We thank you for the grace that is abundant, the grace that overflows, and the grace that carries us each and every day. And we thank you that we are marked as your children and you see us through the beauty of your son, Jesus. Because of that sacrifice, that beautiful, detailed, incredible act of worship, the sacrifice of your son, we get to come into your presence boldly. We get to come into your presence boldly and thank you for the grace on our lives.